What's up, everybody, and welcome to B2B Made Simple. If you're passionate about marketing, you're in the right place. Whether you're doing marketing for a brand new startup or a $100 million enterprise, you'll learn strategies that'll help you build a solid team, impact your pipeline, and look like an absolute rock star to upper management. Why? Because these guys are the pros. They're not pretending to know the industry, they're in the trenches on a daily basis. My name is Sam Moss. I'm the co-founder of One Click Agency. We build websites for B2B companies, and I'm also the co-host of this podcast. If your goal is to become the marketer everyone else looks up to, keep listening. Hey, my name is Tim Kroll, and I'm the co-host focused on the topic of leadership here on the B2B Made Simple podcast. We have an exciting conversation coming, so let's not waste any time and jump right in. All right, guys, welcome back. Today's topic, communication and how this relates to results. My guest, Neil, and Neil and I actually go back uh, quite a few years. I think we met uh, because we both have this background in e-com. Now, Neil, you've actually uh, kind of refined your business. I mean, you're the CEO of uh, Voltage Digital Media, which launches, operates, acquires. I think I got them all right. You do all three of those things. <laughs> Launches, operates, and acquires. That's yeah, right. And you do that in the e-com field. So, and Correct. I know that you specialize in Amazon. You've got some courses, some workshops. You uh, consult on this. And I know that this Amazon is primarily your main focus, but obviously e-com has a greater hole. So, Correct. Um, yeah. So I am really, really glad that we had a chance to meet. I know we've got a lot of other things in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it is our faith. Some of it has to do with this leadership aspect, but you know, according to the agenda of our show, and I'll, I'll obviously give you some free reign in this agenda, but we want to hear about your journey. We want to hear about Absolutely. the lessons that you've learned. And then how do we practically apply to this? And especially as we look at communication, uh, that, yeah, we were talking in the green room prior is like this communication area or topic is pretty broad, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's absolutely key. It's absolutely critical to the future of what we want to grow and how it's going to get the results that we are hoping for or planning for. Uh, so I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm really excited about being able to jump in. Welcome. I'm talking too much already. <laughs> no, well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> um, it's my pleasure to be here. Communications is a big component of our of our life today, is it not? Oh my uh, goodness! As we're zooming in different parts of the country, I <laughs> know uh, it's so. It's, everything has changed over the last year, but at the end of the day, and and uh, uh, you know, for me, when it comes down to communication, it's really how do I get the thoughts out of my head so that they're clearly articulated or clearly understood into somebody else's head. And for me, that's mm. always been the core of communication. But then I love this interesting little twist on how they specifically relate to results. And obviously they do. I mean, if you can't they communicate do. what's in your head, how are you ever going to get the results that are on the on the white paper, on the board or on the plan? Yeah, it really gets down to being able to be a, a very concise communicator in objectives and, re- and results. Right? Yeah, not talkative like me, not like. Over- well, <laughs> you, you may have to use verbal word languages and word play in order to come up with a concept that reaches somebody's brain and makes them create, you know, a connected synergy in their mind between a story and their life that relates to the one you're giving them. Right. Uh, right. And of course, uh, trying to get them to understand that the outcome is really the whole point. Um, of that story. Storytelling is a, is a wonderful way to do that. Oh, speaking of storytelling, yeah, let's hear about your story. Let's hear about your journey well, because I know it's uh, it's got a lot of interesting upon... twists. So we'll see what you can share with us. <laughs> once upon a time, <laughs> as I start a story, like a bedtime story for my girls, 
Um, I will leave out anything that maybe my mom thinks is cool and try to get down to just the concise things that may be of interest. <laughs> well, maybe your mom's those. listening, so she wants yeah, to hear she that. She may or may not be listening to my podcast, <laughs> um, depending upon that. Yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, I got an early start in technology. At, at my age, technology was a, a huge forefront of opportunity that was totally unrealized at this point with the dawn of the internet, right? And when I got going by the time I was 16, 17, we were on you know Commodore 64 machines and we were learning how to program and taking them apart and we were learning how to build them and I remember my first networking multiplayer game was Doom down at my best friend's dad's government. I remember that actually. I remember so we that. could go in and use their networked government computers to play with dip switches in order to get the IPs together enough just to keep everybody connected to the game so we could play for a whole hour. Ooh. But it took us like two hours to get it going right. Um, just to get them all talking. That's, you know, you pop on a cell phone today and bam, you're on your way. So that's yeah. me. Uh, I feel like I'm 80 years old, but really I'm not. Uh, because when you talk about these things, they seem like so far in the past compared to where we are. Um, yeah. But I went on the journey of going to college. I had an opportunity to go to uh, school on a fuel, a full ride music scholarship. Um, I had gone all state and played jazz and classical and got picked up by a small university, a liberal, a liberal arts university out of Iowa. And they offered me a school scholarship, a work plus scholarship that basically paid for itself. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's a huge opportunity. Although I did look at the air force and I wanted to go in and be a fighter pilot. That was like where I wanted to go. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like fighter pilot or nothing. And they looked at me and they, I'm like six, four blonde hair, blue. eye, look like a, you know, a, a, I don't know what I look like. I look like, <laughs> you look like a normal person. I different. like a normal person who's just too big. And they looked at me and were like, no, man, you can't do this. You can like go fly these transport planes or like C-130 Hercules. Like the first time I'd ever heard of that. And I'm like, I don't want to fly a transport plane. I want to fly a fire pilot. And they're like, well, you can't do that. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to college. So I went to college and about three years into that experience, I'd gotten kicked out at least once and gotten reinstated. Um, I was failing. It was just not my life. I couldn't put my mind to it. It just, uh, I, I had too many things I wanted to do things. I was thinking about ADHD, typical entrepreneurial crap. Yep. I just hadn't discovered my, my reality yet. So I suffered through three years of that and two fail outs. And they finally put me back in. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be playing music in a van down by the river for the rest of my life. If I don't figure motivational out motivational speaker, right? I'll be a, yeah, I'm going to be a damn band <laughs> down by the river. Oh, if I figure this thing out. And so I was like, okay, um, so I jumped schools and I went to go finish a computer science degree. I got like 30 hours left in business and computer science undergrad. And the guy who comes in to teach the adjunct as a professor isn't actually the professor. It turns out he's a consultant from Kansas City who was just there to talk about technology and hmm. um, you know uh, in- internet related technologies. And I'm like, I want to know about that. And I pulled this guy aside and he's like, well, we can't teach you that here, but I can teach you that in the corporate world. And I'm like, okay, then what am I doing here? Yeah. So I bailed out of college. 30 hours left. My family screams, ah, you yeah. know, you are going to be living in a van down by the river, you moron. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I bailed out and it was a funny story. I thought at some point I was going to go to Amazon's campus and set out there until they gave me a job. Like this was way <laughs> back in the day. Like I remember the old gray pages of Amazon. I'm like, I'm going to, this company is going to be something. I'm going to go there. And, and I decided not to do that. Instead, I decided I to go follow this guy in Kansas city. And I ended up in consulting. I literally taught myself how to program at the job at my <laughs> first computer DR appointment or this little tiny shop in Blue Springs, Missouri. And I started in banking systems and networking. And I had learned how to fix and break the computers at the university when I was in the computer lab there. And I had enough to be dangerous, started teaching myself programming and ASP and dynamic database driven technologies and all this crazy stuff. Then I realized like dying in a van down by the river, I was going to die in front of a computer as a programmer (laughs) in a dark hole somewhere. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy either. So it's a big story of my life, just figuring out what I don't want to be. 
Right. Um, and I think many people can relate to that, right? Like the yeah. things you don't want to do. So I ended up learning how to program enough to be under, to understand that I had a more of an aptitude in business and more of an aptitude in, in project and people and development and, and sales and this kind of stuff. And so I basically sold my way into a job um, at Sprint when it launched as PCS, the first Sprint mobile division, right? I was the 5,280th employee on my badge number because um, they hired all these people away from Sprint's local telecom. And I was in the, another division of long distance when I was there uh, as a consultant. And they hired us all into this thing called PCS. Nobody knew what the heck they were doing, right? They were just hiring people as fast as they could. And they're like, all right, you're now manager of these four people. And you're over the 50,000 page website we need to build for all the you know, knowledge that needs to be learned about mobile. So all the customer service reps can answer the phone calls that are coming in. And I'm like, well, how many phone calls? How big of a system? It's like 250,000 calls a month and we got to fix this. And I'm like, what the heck, really? <laughs> so, you know, I'm the young guy, I'm 22. I am managing people who were like in their 50 to 60s. Um, and I'm like, I'm the guy, like, just figure this out. <laughs> and so I did, I did. I had, a, I had figured out, I had an aptitude and I, you know, a little bit of fake it till you can make it um, kind of attitude. And so I just kept learning what I didn't know until I did uh, launch the first ever knowledge management system within uh, Sprint was successful. It was about a $10 million project. Um, realized that was really good for the business. And I got a lot of accolades and it did well with the team that was there. And um, IBM came in on a project and one of the guys inside of IBM said, hey, this guy knows what the hell he's doing. And so they hired me away. Uh, hmm. to IBM. So with no degree and just years of experience and doing what I knew how to do, um, specifically uh, translating knowledge uh, and the management of knowledge, both implicit and tacit and being able to translate that into speak and then obviously learning and adaptation and all the languages that go around knowledge. I got pretty good at that and how to build it into a system. And so IBM said, here, go, go to these other projects and go do all this too. So I spent almost five years in IBM doing that until 2007 and uh, realized that they were going to change the business. And I was looking for that change. I had a side hustle like many of you might do. And I was thinking someday I want to be bigger than all of this. And I had that entrepreneurial aspect and IBM was letting me work on a laptop and a cell phone. So I sort of felt like an entrepreneur a little because I was traveling the world and I was mm. living on my laptop and it all felt pretty good. Right. Except the fact that every Sunday through Friday I was traveling. Um, like at one point in the last couple of years before I left 300 days a year, I mean, I was just a road warrior, two and three cities a, a week. And it was just uh, crazy. And I met this girl, dun, dun, dun. here's where the story takes its best. It takes a turn, right? <laughs> I met this girl and all these things changed. Um, long story short, I said, let's do this. And we got married and I jumped out of IBM and we found out we were pregnant. She had complications and then I had no job. And then she had to go on bed rest and she had no job. And then uh, the deal oh. I got involved with, it took me out of, basically sucked up all my cash. And two years later, I was bankrupt. So I had a baby, mm. a wife, no job and no money. So there is the start of my grand, you know, entrepreneurial adventure. Um, and it all goes downhill from there. No, actually, it all goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? It's funny. And I'm very, 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 very thankful because we're going to probably get to some of the highlights. But sure. the thing that I really love and I appreciate this about you is the fact that you're willing to talk about the hard crap and the hard knocks, you know, because so many times I get people and sometimes it's a guest on here. Sometimes it's somewhere else. But it's the aspect of they only want to talk about the highlights. Yeah, it's all... like a highlight reel for for yeah. you know what what you turn the zoom feature on and it's too much normal unnormal appearance. Yeah, versus yeah. just getting yourself on the straight look. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's okay to that's... be raw with people. 
Yeah. Well, and then, but see, everybody looks at that and says like, look, I'm not going through that. That's not my life. Right. So they can't relate to that. So, well, somebody but, relates to divorce. Somebody relates to, tr- to troubles with finances or maybe yep. going bankrupt or feeling like if you don't have another choice, somebody relates to getting married and having kids, trying to start a business or thinking about if I start a business, is it the right time to have enough money? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, is this the right time? Should I, <laughs> it's never the right time. Wait, but it, dude, there's my story. It wasn't the right time. Like that, I am right. the epiphany of that story. I, it was not the right time. Um, but could I have decided not to do that? Absolutely. I could have just gone back into another consulting gig and hit the road again. I know mm-hmm. I would have had that and it would have succumbed the financial problems in the other aspect. Yeah. But I made a sacrifice. I made a choice. My wife committed to it with me. Yeah. And we're still married, by the way. Um, and so it was just one of those moments where the difference between what, what risk I was willing to take was exactly. how well I felt I could overcome any of those challenges or realize it's not the worst thing that could happen to me. Right. Um, and, and there were, I read a book during that uh, period of time called fear, the, uh, feel the, yeah, feel the fear and do it anyways. Mm. And it was such a simple, profound statement with about uh, 200 pages of saying the same thing that really came down to. If you feel like there's a chance that you're going to be successful, you should feel the fear and do it anyways. You're going to figure it out as you go. And it just is yep. a, a repetitive cycle of everyone's afraid to do certain things. It's never the right time. Just get the fear and go. Yeah. Embrace and it. Embrace it, it. Go. Just embrace it and go. And, and it started to coin in some things about the, the rest of my life, at least to today, which had to do with um, how do I see adversity? Like I've seen adversity and faced a judge and had no money with children and four small children and a wife to, you know, and, and a family to feed. I've faced that, right? Um, I've been divorced and crashed a marriage and know what it's like to be an arrogant prick who only focuses on the good mm. things and only talks about what they feel is the narrative when they don't actually want to uh, do what Jim Good said uh, in the Good to Great book, uh, Jim, uh, Jim. Jim Collins. Thank you, Jim Collins, which was turn the rock over and look at the squiggly things underneath it and not be yeah. afraid to look at those things and, and accept that what they are for whatever it is, you feel empowered when you do that. And I never understood that. And I started to take that principle to heart. Hmm. And because of that, I just started to zig and zag. And my life after 2007 looked like a giant bowl of spaghetti had thrown up on the floor. Uh, (laughs) It was just turns and ebbs and flows and reinventions and changes and adaptations and just, you know, reinventing things that I thought I would be interesting until I could finally land on what made sense. And, and for me, it was affiliate marketing. And I started online really getting good at affiliate marketing. Um, it was a simple way to, to not have to create a product, but I could, I could support someone else's. And I got specifically good at testing out mobile ads. Um, mm. And I just started to play because not being so afraid of the risk. I was like, let's just try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to keep going and just keep trying until I just bang my head on a wall and move left, bang my head on a wall and go under it, bang my head yeah, on a wall yeah. and go yeah, around keep it. Keep adapting. Yep. Just keep moving is it. Just keep your feet moving, right? Um, and, and I know some of you are feeling like there's a wall you just ran into, but I'm going to challenge you to just turn and keep going, like find another way around it. Cause you're going to run into another one and another one and another one. Yeah, there's always, 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 them. Yep. whatever they are, life, family, finances, death, a sickness, uh, business troubles. You can't pay your bills and put it on a credit card. Um, can't pay your business bills, but put them on a credit card at it. I mean, I've done it all. Yeah. So you know, the adaptation is I, I got into something that I actually found I was very good at once I finally banged my head on enough walls and yeah. it was lead generation. And I was making companies very good money and got a couple of companies, series A funding off of my legion activities. And one of them in particular was focused on physical products. 
And that's when I made the leap to physical products. I realized, well, shoot, if I can drive the traffic, why can't I just also create the product for myself? Exactly. Right? Yep. Yep. So I started to dive more into brands and the brand-driven aspect of physical products, not just flipping products for money, but actually building a brand of people's want affinity. We all are brand-driven at the end right, of the day. Right. Some of us are Levi's, Nikes, and New Balance guys, right? Um, uh, and it changes by age, types, avatar, right? Social status, it all has a, a variation to it. And there's something to sell to everybody at every level of life and every level of economic and socioeconomic status. And I, when I finally grasped a hold of that, I thought there's something I can get my mind behind, right? And there's something I can adapt. And somebody then introduced me to Amazon and they said, hey, by the way, you can sell on Amazon. I'm like, I thought I can sell on Amazon? Like you can do that? This is back in 2011. Uh, and I said, wow, you could put products on Amazon. I had no idea. Like this is a concept, <laughs> this is new, no one's talking about it. I'm like, what in the world? He's like, yeah, yeah, you put these products up there and Amazon ships them for you and they handle the customer support. And it's this thing called Fulfilled by Amazon. I'm like, well, that's clever. Um, turns out FBA is a whole nother company that's run within the Amazon infrastructure. So there's Amazon and then there's FBA. I didn't even realize right. that until later on. Right. So they built this whole infrastructure. I'm like, that's fascinating. So I started to throw products at it and just see what would happen. I started to flip products. I would buy some overstock. I found an overrun of supplements. Uh, from a health store that a guy had gotten. He's like paid pennies on the dollar and I put them on Amazon. We sold them all for a big profit. I'm like, holy crap, this is working. And I didn't have to go for the traffic because it was already there. So I was, yeah. I was fascinated because after being a traffic guy for Legion, it was like all of a sudden there's all this traffic on Amazon and everybody wants to buy. It's like, wait a minute, there's all these freaking buyers on Amazon. Like what else can I put in front of them? So then became the story of like, you know, we'd sell fuzzy bunny slippers to grandma. Like we didn't care. People were like, well, what kind Just of everything, yeah. I like, I don't care, man. If I thought I could make a profit off that product, I put it into Amazon. And then we started into realization that it was very brand driven affinity too. Um, and that we could start creating these brands in Amazon and we could do what we call um, similarity is familiarity mm. equals trust. So because of the ecosystem, we could look for products in the marketplace. We could build similar products in the marketplace and completely, you know, completely dominate the original product because of the familiarity and the trust behind Amazon. And once that clicked in, it was like game on. Yeah. So we started to borrow money and launch products as fast as we could. And then within three or four years, we had done over we had millions of dollars, millions of units. We were just at, we had eight brands going and things were just like on fire. And that's when the people started asking us about the products and what we were selling and what we were doing. I fell in to the internet coaching side of this market. I didn't go in saying I'm going to develop a product and sell it to people. Right. I went into the business. I learned the business. We made the business successful. And then by a product, uh, we create uh, the byproduct was we created some coaching that taught people. And it started out as one-on-one -on -one coaching. We just started teaching people and they started to get results. And like, oh my gosh, no one's showing us how to do this, <laughs> right? No one's teaching us all of these different things. And, and by that point, you know, 2015, 2016, people had caught on and the marketers had sort of hit it. And there was all these products coming in all of a sudden. It's like, make money on Amazon. All yeah, 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 yeah. I remember those days, yep. Yeah, and it was like, but nobody's teaching anybody actually how to do it because they were just going and making products and teaching you how to sell on Amazon when they had yep. never sold a unit themselves and we still sell to this day to be very clear uh, and we sell all kinds of products across the system we've acquired merged businesses sold businesses we're in acquisition mode now uh, to acquire more businesses long story short we built up some really good followings we some created some good products we 
have stuck to a smaller group of uh, people working with us in our programs and consulting. And therefore, we've had a lot more results and a higher success rate. And we've had uh, not really the make money pitch to our deal. We're really more consultants. It's where mm-hmm. I started. It's what I was doing with IBM. It's what I was doing with Sprint. It's kind of what I took into my life is consultation. And so we take a very different approach to how we handle people. And because of that, we got a whole different level of successes. We have you know eight-figure client studies in less than 12 months. Uh, and because of that, it shows the power of physical products, Amazon system that's now like a seven lane highway instead of a two lane highway when I started, <laughs> right? And now right. you realize that so many people didn't know what they were doing. It's still like shooting fish in a barrel because we created a software, we had the training, we had our own systems and SOPs or standard operating procedures. Long story short, we've launched over 60,000 products with our client partners since 2014 in the FBA space, we have data mining and data analytics, and we now know run everything by the numbers. We know not to marry our products. We know how the filing and ranking system works. And we know that these businesses are worth a lot when they can be sold later on, more than any time during the business building phase. And it's just become a juggernaut. Eight years later, um, this is what we do. We live, breathe, and eat e-commerce. Uh, See, and so there's so many things in this whole part of it. And I, I mean, I know we want to talk about the communication, but the sure. first thing is, is in your story, Napoleon Hill talks about this in his journey. And I don't know if you've read the book. Uh, um, uh, what was it? The uh, Crap. It's just going to slip my mind now. Um, Conversations with the devil or the, uh, I can't remember what it is exactly now. Anyway, a really I'm great book. You're talking. Yeah, I, I was going to say, but I, I don't have it right. It's like, it's one of those things, you know, you get stuck in the middle of this and that's why we do these recordings in one take. So we just have yes, fun with it. No worries. Um, uh, but anyway, so he, he talks about this whole aspect of where he felt that fidgetiness. That's what he called yes. it. And as he was zigging and zagging and failing and having challenges, that was one aspect. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneur people, leaders can relate to that because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. feel that in our souls, right? We feel that drive, that ambition. Second thing that came out when you're looking at and talking about all of these things is the, um, I, I, I want to make sure I'd be, I'm careful on how I say this, but at the same time, it's really a core of um, creating a value and a standard that you have that you're going to continue to move forward with, you know, and having that part of it. So I, I don't want to get too deep in that. Maybe we'll take some time and we'll talk sure. about some of the other things, but at the same time, maybe let's just jump into the communication aspect. So yeah, you've sure. got incredible aspects on this and maybe I'll use this. I'll, let me use this as a transition. Um, John D. Rockefeller, when he first introduced into the oil industry, he perceived that it wasn't going to be worthwhile to go look for the oil. Mm-hmm. He perceived that it was going to be better to do the refinement and let everybody else bring the oil to him, right? So and part of his leadership skills was kind of putting some of these things together and understanding it's that middle. I almost feel like that's where you've kind of niched in Yeah, and you've kind is. of you're more of a refiner, right? You're not actually the guy out there looking for it, but you're more of a refiner. So I don't know if we that's call it, uh, you or not, selling but... shovels to miners. There you go. Right. That's, that's exactly... what we call it. So, you know, <laughs> it isn't that I have to sell the best shovel. It's that I tell you where to go drop the shovel. And that's the biggest difference. Yeah. If yeah. I just tell you, here's a shovel, go for it. You'll be digging holes all over the desert yeah. looking for nothing. If I right. show you how to find the water or the oil or the gold, that's in the ground, and then I hand you any shovel, it doesn't matter. Right, right. You're going to find what it is you're digging for, right? Right. You right. may take you two shovels to get through it. It may take you a larger shovel and a smaller shovel. And at some point, that shovel may turn into an excavator. 
But at the end of the day, you're digging right in the right place. Right, right. And that's the biggest difference. Again, people get caught up right now on, well, which shovel do I use? Do I use the pointy one, the square one, the flat one, the the, the rectangular one? Is there a new type of shovel? No. Grab the biggest, baddest shovel you can get out of your garage and start digging. The point again is where do you dig? So yes, refinement is a big component. What I typically work with is people who are already experienced in business to some level, and they've realized that this is an opportunity called e-commerce, and they're not sure exactly where to go dig right. their hole. And I work with people who are already digging a hole, but don't realize that they want oil, but they're digging in a water hole, or they want, right, right, you right. Know, they want gold, but they're in a silver mine. Um, and I help them understand what is the difference between the, you know, the geographic layout of where they are and where they should actually be at. It's like, hey, you're over here panning in a gold uh, for gold in Tennessee, but you should actually be digging with an excavator in Alaska. Right. So let's, let's transition into the communication aspect of this, right? Because there's some people that just don't want to hear that. Like, Hey, I know I'm going to dig here. Right. So you have to be able to communicate clearly to get them to understand. And maybe we'll use this as our transition aspect, because if you cannot clearly communicate with your staff and then those that you're consulting and those other individuals, you're not going to get results because they're just not going to listen. So what have you learned? What have you found to be the biggest component in communicating as a leader? Typically, it is the it comes down to the individual. It's that the individual understands where they need to go. They understand the concept of where they're headed. What they don't understand is the mechanism to deploy it faster, cheaper, or easier with the help of somebody else. And so as we communicate with people, we try to help them understand uh, principles of business. We try to help them understand uh, the actual numbers and the mechanism, what we call revenue generating activities they should actually pay, uh, pay attention to, the RGAs. And we really help them understand that nine times out of 10, when people come and ask us how to help them grow, scale, uh, even launch their business in e-commerce, specifically on Amazon, it has a lot to do with understanding uh, activity versus productivity. Um, Where do I actually maximize my opportunities to make money? And it's it's simple in this way. I hope uh, the people that work with me are typically have been trained by me. That's one of the ways. So as I look for this person who has this aptitude and understands those core concepts, they are now going to see the opportunity that is laid out in front of them. Their questions don't become, uh, why am I using a shovel? It is, where am I using the shovel? And it's a whole different style of communication that they bring to the table in their understanding. And when I identify that, it becomes a lot easier for me to help them communicate the benefits and values of where they're headed and how they can get there better, faster. So how do you identify that? How do you find that in another it's individual? always in the language. It is the difference between a confident person who understands that they've made a choice to attach, attack this opportunity, regardless of who it is that's going to help them get there, and they understand the uh, that they have a path or I listen to them and they have a path uh, in which they themselves have already struggled through some things and overcame them. If they've never struggled through an objection, an issue, a financial hardship, and they are saying that this is a business they want to grow to seven or eight figures, I already know that that point, there's a lot of uphill for me to help them become successful hmm. because they don't understand the opportunities being presented to them in terms of scale. They understand concepts. They understand the theory but they haven't actually applied it to anything else in their life at this point. And until I see or hear from them that they have applied that, do I actually see the opportunity to mold, shape, and direct their next steps? Otherwise, I'm met with resistance every time. Why am I doing this? Why are you doing that? It becomes a trust issue. So to remove the trust issue, I actually just remove the mentality and the person that I'm, that I'm speaking to. I don't actually try to change the person I'm speaking to. I change the person that I'm speaking to. 
Say that again. What do you mean by that? It means that if you're not the right person and I can identify in a conversation that you're actually not going to end up being successful based on the language, uh, the way you approach business or the way you've been and done business in the past, I will simply say, this is not a good fit for us. Have a great day. I can't help everybody. I will move to another person. And I will look for the right person who has the language background and experience. And that comes from their ability to communicate their own life and experience. So every person I work with gets interviewed. Every person I work with has a conversation with me. Every person I work with has to meet certain criteria of literally their ability to explain, communicate, and tell me how they've had successes or failures that they've overcome in any particular business or uh, challenges they've been working on prior to that point. So I don't work with completely net new people. That's the difference, I think, between some of maybe your guests or other people. I work with people who have experience in life already, business experience in some other manner. Um, they understand the opportunity. They're simply looking for the right place to go dig the hole. And when I get in front of them, it's about timing and it's about message. It's a much easier communication. I think people spend too much time trying to convince other people of their ideas instead of looking for people who are right on the cusp of changing their, their mm. opinion or their direction and instead helping to guide them to the next steps. Yeah. Well, and that's an understanding of who it is that you are working to help and it where your skill level sets. And I love that you start this whole communication aspect with basically, dude, it's, I got to listen. I got to listen to where they're Listening. at. If I, if I don't listen to where they're at, then I don't know if I can help them or not. And asking good questions, right? Yeah. And asking pointed questions uh, and not being afraid to have the other person reject you. And also at the end of it, when you're talking to someone, not being afraid to tell them, Hey, you know what? You're not a good fit. No disrespect. And then be careful with the, your feelings when they come back because they'll reject you sometimes and it'll be cold and it'll be harsh <laughs> and it'll be mean. But the end result is based on that rejection, you should feel validated that they were never going to be successful. Three months from now, they were going to blame you for every problem they have in the business that they said that you were the one who couldn't help them overcome it. You were the one who didn't get them results. They will take no personal accountability in it. And it's all about listening to them in that communication time you have to determine if they are those kinds of people. They so how does a leader versus uh, abundance? Yeah. I was going to say, how does a leader actually start to hear some of these things? So there are definitely people out there and I've talked with many of the leaders and they feel like they are there to help everybody and they've got a big heart. And I love that about them. But at the same time, they, it's I honorable. find, yeah, well, I find that they burn themselves out because like you just said, it's impossible to change everybody. It's impossible to help everybody. It is. Yeah. So how do you, especially because we're talking to a lot of leaders out there as far as where they're at, mm -hmm. how do you create this dynamic or this foundation? Obviously, it's in the communication aspect. You understand the type of person that you're looking for. You're listening to them. You're looking for some key elements. You already have the system. But if a leader is stepping in and doesn't quite understand these concepts, what is it that they need to understand in order to be able to put this kind of a framework in place? Absolutely. So typically, I'm looking for the heart of someone who has a servant leadership understanding. And a servant leader typically speaks more towards the activities of the people around them or the things that have been around them that help those accomplishments and less about, look what I did. Here's what I made. Here's what I changed. Here's me, 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 me. Mm -hmm. A servant leader is typically well, I had this business and here are the great people that were working with me. And this is the different things that they were doing to help us grow this company. A servant leader has a very different communication style than someone is a self-directed or self-driven and right. more of an egotistical driven leadership type. And the idea that someone says, I can help all people through all things is actually a lie, in my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, my two cents. Uh, because at the end of the road, there's only one scenario that I can think of personally where I've ever been met with that. And it's somebody drowning. 
who literally you're going to jump in and try to save their life regardless of who they are. Because right. even if you have to punch them in the face for their own good, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but you also realize that every person who comes to you with a need for money, business, time, energy, and effort cannot, you cannot fill all of those things for all people. Um, it is, you know, uh, in, in simplistic terms and speaking in faith, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> right. Be all things to all people. What I can do is help business leaders who want to grow and adapt business and, and drive themselves along with uh, our accountability checks to ensure that they're achieving results alongside of the things we're doing. I'm looking for people who have a CEO mentality. They see abundance in the opportunity. They don't see scarcity in every step of the path. And those people will typically speak that in their language. They'll speak it through their story. Um, my own story is one of, of considerable scarcity um, that's led through times of abundance that led to more scarcity that led to times of abundance. But at the end <laughs> of the day, my whole story for me is a matter of abundance because whether I was standing with my wife in front of the you know, bankruptcy attorney. And in that moment, I got abundance from a judge who took a little mercy on us and said, you know, I read your situation. I realized your partner screwed you out of the company. I realized you had no choice but to come here in front of us. So I'm going to help you out. Like mm -hmm. I got a bit of mercy in that moment. Right. And there was abundance in that moment of complete scarcity. And I look back at all those things and I see them very differently because my mindset, ha mindset has shifted into one of abundance. And so my communication and my style the aspect of my life, the fact that I homeschool my kids um, because I feel there's more abundance uh, to their time and energy and my time and energy than, than, uh, than I can tell other people I don't have time for or I can't answer you or I'm so busy, book me two weeks from now and all this other nonsense. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the purposeful self-directed activities. And when I hear those kinds of things from people, I typically run away from them. Mm. So you've actually given us four different things. I don't know if you realized you did that or not, but I was listening to, to, to a couple of them. One is a servant leader. You're looking for an individual that speaks in a servant leader type model. Two is the abundance mentality. Three is the responsibility of actions. Like they take responsibility for their actions. And then the fourth is they've got their priorities in order. Is Absolutely. that accurate? Is that, that good? Is accurate. Absolutely. Okay. It's four so, components that build up a, a particular person. And they always have a similar story experience of hardship and overcoming diversity and overcoming finding solutions and overcome They're tenacious. They're go-getters. They have made decisions to do certain things and they went after the people they knew would help them get there faster and easier, even though they knew there would still be trouble or they knew that trouble might arise. They're always the kind of people who communicate that they're self-responsible uh, and that they hold accountability for any of those actions at the end of the day. They don't typically go with a story that says, well, once upon a time, um, my partners may be bankrupt, and that's the worst thing that ever happened to me in the world. So like, where's your accountability in that? Where's your place in that? What did you do yep. in all that? And you can hear it a lot in the language. Uh, so a good leader is somebody who's overcome those things. They operate in humility, and they understand the four points we just talked about. Okay, so you're listening for this. That's the first phase, I would say, of this communication aspect, is you're listening for these four components that we did. Once you hear those four components, then how do you communicate what's going on in your head saying, okay, look, I've got opportunity here. How do you make yeah. that clear? Cause you're not going to fight with somebody if they want to dig in the desert for water, Absolutely. let them go dig in the desert for water, but I'm just not the person for you. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're looking for the, for the right person, um, they will typically drive the conversation to the end of the call with me anyways. And they will say, okay, how do we get started? Okay. Mm. What are the next steps? 
Like they already know they've made their decision because those are the kind of people they are, right? right? Um, it's, it's much easier for me to sell a $50,000 a year package than a $5,000 a year package. Why? Because the type of leadership I'm talking to is the type of people that realize with applied energy, with the correct knowledge and, and uh, pathway to understanding where to go, how to do it, how to overcome the issues and challenges, they know they can turn that into 10 times, 100 times that. Uh, if they apply it with the right force at the right time. Um, so they typically will see that opportunity even without me telling them about it. What I'm doing is offering people an opportunity to come alongside of us, right? To be a CEO, to learn what it's like to actually communicate correctly the actual components of this business model uh, that you need to run with certain people. And, and the fact that there's only like four major components of our business model that have to be run by people. Um, we've simplified it down. I'll show you, here's the four things that have to be done. And oh, by the way, you can train virtual assistants to do it for you. Mm. Um, and that's how easy this works. And you can then at some point you may hire an employee, but you don't even need to do that. You can right. scale these businesses to three to $5 million a year, with just a couple people in, in virtual assistants. Um, you don't need, it's a beautiful economy of scale when it comes to e-com. Um, yeah, out the yeah. Warehouse you can, space yeah, you can absolutely grow. So once much you start more. to communicate that back to these kinds of folks are like, wait, I don't need a warehouse or wait, this builds on top of itself with brand of, oh, wait, this business is worth something if I want to sell it later. Oh, wait, I don't need 59 employees and a whole healthcare insurance policy and mm -hmm. all this other nonsense to do this. And I can operate it anywhere from in the world. Okay. Yep. I'm actually really interested. Yeah. Um, it makes a different communication level. So that the next step, it sort of self-qualifies with the right person. Uh, I always tell this to people who are willing to listen to me. When you are working with the wrong person, you are typically overcoming every objection. If you are overcoming every objection in the conversations with yourself or your employees who are coming up with objections based on the performance metrics that you've set for them, well, guess what? They're probably the wrong employee. Say and that again. So as each person is defined a performance metric or a goal, if you're finding yourself constantly overcoming objections with that client or employee, you are probably working with the wrong person. Yeah, <laughs> that's really, really powerful. I mean, right now, especially when I coach a lot of the companies and services, I mean, there's a there's definitely a little bit of a desperation going on because of the economy and the government giving a lot of free handouts. We that's are it. struggling in this economy more than ever to find employees. Yep. But what you just said there is like really absolutely key in the fact that if you're constantly having to overcome objections, that employee may not be the right person for you. Absolutely. And that, that employee, by your definition, could be a contractor or a virtual assistant or anyone. Correct. Uh, at the end of the day, do they have to know everything? No. Do you need to set their goals and directives? Absolutely. Um, if you're managing by exception, it should take you 15 minutes a week of a status update with them to ask what are the three key things that they were working on towards revenue generation. And, and it should all be focused on revenue generation from the customer support rev to the person who has the orders to the person who's taking in your coaching students to the person who's you know, uh, managing your warehouse operations or whatever this, this person is doing for you. Um, they should have at least three key uh, item, key, uh, what do we call um, performance indicators you could, yeah, tied just, to yeah. an objective, right? Yeah. Um, and it's very simple. It's not super complex. You don't need a whole bunch of metric dashboards and other nonsense yet to do this. You can literally manage it in a simple spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, work with them, communicate to them what it is the, the goal is, but then let them help define the different points uh, that need to, at least three points that need to be done 
executed to actually achieve that performance result. Say it's uh, so many extra leads a week or so many new sales a month or so many new coaching students or so right. many new products or so many customer support answers correctly done with a certain rating. Um, it really gets down to managing those metrics. And if you've done a good job, they've communicated it with you and that communication actually tells you whether or not they're the right person. If they can communicate that back, then you yep. know you've got the wrong person. Yeah, no, I, and I love that aspect of this because I feel like, and this is my takeaway as far as what's going on. The biggest takeaway that I have right at this exact moment is the fact that we are looking and trying too hard to communicate something that should be a little bit easier and a little bit uh it should just work. I don't know how to say. Well, it is. That. And why do you feel the need to keep overcoming that? There's a word that comes to my mind. It's called scarcity. Yeah. It's the idea that you believe that there's not another person out there that could actually fit this role when there's millions of people that are eligible for the type, any type of role that you think you might need to fit. You may have to work a little bit more. And this is where the abundant mindset kicks in versus the scarcity mindset of saying, I will go through a number of people till I find that right person. When you do, life is so much easier. When you do, your work becomes less and they are more fulfilled because they are achieving the results that you've set for them. And with performances behind that, they're even making more money. It becomes more synergistic. If you're still working through the second person you tried to interview to fill your job and three months later, you're frustrated because it's still not being done, you just cost yourself maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. But there are plenty of people behind them to go after that. And you may have to pay them a little bit more, but they may be completely worth that money when you find that right person because they oh will my goodness. Well, not just them. worth that money. They, and I, I've had this experience because we've, I've talked exactly through this with some, a couple of people that I've coached. They are the ones that are going to be able to exponentially have a huge impact on the results, which is what we're talking huge. about. The communication has when, when you're able to actually identify communicate clearly they're on the same page with you and you guys are just humming along they will have a huge impact and they will grow your business in ways that you'll well, never grow your business or grow your client's business one of exactly. our guys jonah yep. who runs account managements for voltage he yep. came in and he's a wonderful communicator understands the business very well and was supporting his client he came to the client and said hey look i've identified a product i i see it i understand it i here's a market opportunity here's the due diligence i found the product itself and the manufacturer, and here's how much it's going to cost. Here's how much I believe it can do. Do you want to launch this product? And he was confident. And the client was like, let's go. Added <laughs> on a million in revenues at 40% profit margins in 12 months later with that one product that he selected. Wow. Why? Because he was a good communicator. He understands the market and he was the right guy for the job to do this, right? And he made a very valuable move uh, for the client and they're super happy with him. That's but awesome. at the end of the day, I could have stayed with 10 other people besides him, but we didn't. When you find those right people, it's the end of the day. So when people say e-commerce, Amazon, Shopify, any other type of thing in the e-commerce world, let me make it very clear. It is about the brands and the customer that you're serving. And when you find the right people to help serve the customers you're serving, it's nothing about the mechanics or the button pushing or the files or the images. That's all uh, low level stuff. It's all what I call mechanics. When it comes to the business, knowing the numbers and the people who are operating the business, that is where your success will come hmm. from. It will not come from the mechanics because you can do Shopify mechanics and Amazon mechanics. And you can build your own website. And you can sell across Facebook. It doesn't matter when you have that. <laughs> I love that. You know yeah. who they are and you define who they are clearly and you have the right people supporting you. It won't matter. Yep. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap this up, I mean, we're talking, this is great stuff. So as we wrap this thing up, what would you say if, if they didn't take anything else away, what would be the mm -hmm. one thing that you would want somebody listening to that this is the takeaway? Don't miss this. What would that one thing be? Time wounds all heals. 
(laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Time wounds all heals. Look, at the end of the day, we are all going to make mistakes. You have to be able to forgive yourself and find a solution and keep going. If you do it one time and you forget, or you do it one time and you think it isn't going to work, or you do it one time and you didn't hit a home run, then you are not allowing facts over feelings. We talked a little bit about this on a, on a different topic conversation, but let's cover this very clearly. Uh, the end take here is you are going to try effort. It isn't the one thing you do or the second, it's the third, fourth, fifth time you do something that you will see measurable results that move you in the right uh, journey. My whole story, <laughs> my, my conversation with you today should exemplify that you are gonna run into trouble, you're gonna need to overcome that trouble. And the more you pursue those goals and objectives, regardless of what wall is in your way, you will achieve your success and you will carve out your niche and whatever it is that you're focused on going after. Awesome. Awesome stuff. All right. So two final questions. One, Mm -hmm. how do people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about e-com or some of this training things? And then the second question, and I love asking this question is what is the number one book that you would recommend? I like popping that because I don't Okay, number one book I recommend. Um, let's go, with, uh, well, I would say Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways is a great one. While it doesn't just talk about um, your uh, business aspects, it talks about your interpersonal stuff, which covers some of the things we talked about today. And of course, Good to Great is just timeless in terms of its business lessons. While the data is maybe not relevant to today's uh, market somewhat, the principles and the application of those yep. principles are very, very relevant. And so I would definitely recommend Good to Great. Uh, and understanding the difference between maybe something you're doing okay, something you can do good, and something you could actually be doing that's great, and it's probably setting right in front of you. Uh, in terms of communications, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy. You can go to voltagedm.com uh, and complete the form to have a chat with me. I'll even give out my text message, my uh, personal text message number, 417-413-4209. You can just text me, uh, Tim Kroll, uh, if you want to, if you heard about this and you just want to have a quick chat about it, um, again, that number is just 417-413-4209. Just text me, Tim Kroll, and we'll talk a little about, you know, what we're doing in the e-commerce world and about Amazon and see if maybe it's a good fit for you. That's best. I, yeah. Uh, I lo- and I love the fact that you're like, dude, it's not for everybody. I love that because not everybody's it's, your client. It's, I'm not trying to mince words, but I'm yeah. not trying to meet our exclusionary. <laughs> no, but it's true though. It's so true. And I love that. It's, it's so true. Yeah. So it is very true. All right. Awesome stuff. Anything else on your mind? You're like, I just got to get this out. Anything else? No, no, I think I said about 20,000 words. uh, (laughs) Uh, I live in a house with five women. So who average about 20,000 words a day. So, so you're uh, done for the day, man. I think I caught up for the most part. (laughs) No, I think this was awesome. So thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Um, As you guys are listening, man, let us know because this is really, and I know Neil's heart is this way too. If something was said, and it's made an impact in your life, and you're making a change, we want to hear about it. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to be able to support and encourage. And I know Neil's heart is in the exact same places where mine mine is at. So if something has made an impact out of anything else, whether you engage with us or not in business, we want to hear about what is going on in your life. And we want to hear about the good things. So make sure you reach out, make sure you uh, stay in contact with us. And until next time, we shall see you. Thanks again for listening. Later, guys. I wanted to say thanks again for joining into our conversation. You know, one of the things that I've seen across the board, whether you're a business leader, owner, entrepreneur, or even a leader, is the struggles that we go through and feeling like we're all alone. We've created a class 
a workshop type class called Mentormind, where we meet for six months. In that six months, you were able to meet and talk with other people that are going through much of the same situation, same scenarios, same challenges, and it gives us a great way to be able to connect, grow, support, and encourage each other. And if you've often felt like there's no one else that you can share with, let me invite you to Mentormind, where you can share some of the challenges, come up with solutions, and be able to live the best life that you have. We'll talk soon, guys.